All right, welcome back to the CXM Experience. I have just escaped New York in the nick of time, and I'm back in sunny, gorgeous Florida, getting my pool to heat back up to 90 degrees. I'm about 85 right now, and a beautiful day in Florida. I think it's about 72, a little chilly. People in Florida are wearing like like winter parkas, um, but I'm uh, celebrating in shorts and burks. Anyway, so um, um, looking forward to kind of talking today. Uh, got a topic um, that's going to be really close to my heart and close to a lot of things that I've done, which is how to use modern channels and um, modern CXM systems to drive B2B pipeline. And a lot of our examples are B2C, but the ability to use this stuff for account-based marketing and generate B2B pipeline is, is quite extraordinary. So uh, buckle up. Here we go. Let me try to draw a quick analogy just to get us into this. So if you think about marketing, I'd say marketing, for the most part, in most cases, is, is often like, you know, using a fork or a spoon when you're eating. You know, you're, you're getting kind of, you're somewhat targeted, uh, you're somewhat focused, but, you know, you're picking up a lot of stuff as you kind of scoop it into your mouth. ABM or account-based marketing is like using chopsticks. You know, you're really getting focused in on individual items. Very precise, very focused, um, a little hard to use, um, takes a bit of practice, uh, doesn't necessarily intuitively come to you, and uh, um, it's very hard when you're, when you're young. So I, don't, I think I've probably beaten that analogy to death now, <laughs> but I think I like it. It's kind of cool. So, so let's talk a little bit about you know, what this all means. So the generally accepted wisdom in B2B marketing, which I'd, I'd say is overall deeply, deeply broken is you use uh, you know, kind of content marketing to attract people to your site using uh, SEO. Um, you can do SEM. Uh, I like SEM a lot. I'll come back to that in a second. And then you can uh, do demand gen using advertising to get people to click on your stuff. And, and classically, you bring them to a white paper or you bring them to some sort of piece of content that they'll download. That content is gated. They'll give you their name. And uh, then you then mercilessly pound them with emails uh, until they beg for forgiveness or buy your product. And, and that's been kind of the vogue for now well, about 10 to 15 years. Uh, you know, Marketo started in 2006, Eloqua in 2002. Um, and so that's sort of been sort of state of the art for a while. A couple problems with that state of the art. Uh, problem number one, um, people figured this out. So people figured out that if you give someone your name, to download a white paper, you're going to get mercilessly pounded with emails for the rest of your life. And so most people don't like that very much. And so they, they're, they're cautious about doing it. Um, number two, it's not a true reflection of the way the buyer's journey works. I'll talk about that in a second. And, um, and what, what that means in terms of the way people actually contact sites. And number three, it's super expensive uh, and tends to be not very well targeted. And you'll see a lot of things in download forms where people put in their name as, you know, Darth Vader at you know, Alderaan Boulevard, that kind of stuff. And so you don't have a lot of particularly useful information. And I would say that the, the real buyer's journey now occurs at a very different stage. So uh, I started my career actually at Procter & Gamble uh, and probably talked about that once or twice. And at Procter & Gamble, we had this concept of first and second moments of truth. And the first moment of truth was when you would do uh, like stand in front of the product dial, right? So you're standing there and going to buy detergent, let's say. And, and it was, a, I'd say, it was built, this idea of first moment of truth to a certain extent was built to kind of counter a lot of the negativity we would get from agencies. And a lot of agency creators would say things like, nobody cares about detergent. 
Uh, no one's interested in detergent. So they would tend to produce a lot of ads with irrelevant drama in them because they were trying to be interesting. Uh, and the argument that we would make is that, well, people may not spend a tremendous amount of time talking about detergent in the bar, you know, except for me, maybe. I explain why I've been single for a long time. Um, <laughs> but actually, what they really do is they only think about detergent when they're buying it. Right, so maybe it's not the conversation topic of day to day, but for twenty seconds, thirty seconds, while they're standing in the aisle, looking at bottles and boxes of detergent, it's the only thing they're thinking about. And you better have occupied a strategic part of that mind so that you can cut through that moment, that first moment of truth. The second moment of truth is when they take the product home and they use it. And this explains why companies like P&G and other CPGs spend billions of dollars a year on scent research, because scent is a really important way that people initially experience a product like detergent. Uh, it's a way they judge the smell of the clothes. They smell clean. You know, it's hard to tell look. I mean, they always look clean when they come out of the wash, right? You can't really tell. Maybe there's a ring around the collar or things like that, but you know, it's really tricky. Uh, and so, but the smell really gives it away. And that's the second moment of truth. And the combination of the first and second moments of truth help people rebuy. Google introduced a concept in 2010 or so called zero moment of truth. And the zero moment of truth, and they actually pitched it originally to packaged goods firms, although it's much more broad scale now, number of verticals in there. And I would just encourage you to do a quick search on zero moment of truth, and you'll go to that Google page. It's very robust. And the concept of the zero moment of truth was that people research in advance of going to the store. So that that customer research before they end up in the aisle is the zero moment of truth. And that's exactly what's happened in almost all products. People research, read reviews, try to understand who buys what, sizing, all that kind of stuff. And for everything from toilet papers to knives to you know any kind of consumer product. But it's particularly true in B2B. And in B2B, a lot of that search occurs on the review sites, uh, G2 Crowd, Captera, sites like that, uh, or it's with analysts, Forrester, Gartner, Constellation, they'll, they'll sort of consult with them, or influencers. And there are a lot of influencers in the space that people follow, or sites like chiefmartech.com that people follow that has a lot of influencers connected to it. And so a lot of the research that goes on in these categories occurs long before people ever come to your site. So I always find it kind of funny, you know, people spend a lot of time sort of optimizing their site and spending a ton of money on their site and they get super excited about the site because it's, it's within their locus of control, right? So the, the mindset is, you know, that's the thing that needs to be like perfect. But in fact, you should be spending most of your money, most of your time on analysts on review sites and on influencers. That's where the real cash should go. Because by the time someone comes to your site, they've actually, about 60% of the time, already decided to buy your product. Isn't that an amazing stat? They've already decided to buy your product. And so in fact, what you really want to do is make sure they're really easy to get a hold of you. So lots of contact us, live chat, and making sure people can kind of get to you quickly because they're actually kind of in buying mode. At this point, they really need to talk to a salesperson. They probably don't want to pound their way through tons of content, downloading things, et cetera. So that's kind of a, that's my worldview of it and supported by some evidence. So ABM. So account-based marketing is, is really like, how do you get people to engage with you? 
um, before they've engaged with you. I like search engine marketing. I mentioned this bit before because with SEM, people are looking for your product. And so make sure you appear high. It's a good way to spend money. Other thing that's nice about SEM is there's a limit. So you can only, there's only so many searches going on in your category. So at a certain point, you can't buy anymore. So you can optimize that building block really quickly and get to, uh, get to everyone who's looking for your product in your product category. But what about people who are a target for your product, but may not know you exist, may not know that you can solve a problem they have, may not know that they need to think about changing their stack or do some digital transformation? How do you get to them? That's where account-based marketing comes in. So there are almost 5 billion people online now. 5 billion people. Isn't that amazing? Uh, we're getting to almost everybody. And um, there's uh, hundreds of billions of public online conversations going on. So in any typical B2B company, there's a, a number of named accounts and it's a, a limited list. It could be 6,000, 10,000, whatever accounts. Uh, and certainly in the enterprise space, which is where this motion applies, it's never more than six to 12,000 accounts. And so what you'll do is you'll say, hey, you know, we really need to get into XYZ account. Um, haven't had a chance to talk to them. They won't respond to our traditional means of contact. We really think we could help them. They're not even maybe even looking at us right now. We need to form a connection. And so what social ABM does is it basically targets an account um, that doesn't have success with traditional outreach, focuses on companies that have, in our case, say, a primary issue like digital transformation. And uh, we like to find people who've got, you know, sort of a highly active social presence. And so um, a bunch of listening cues get built and they basically um, listen to the social activity around these target accounts and help you identify the key players and the social accounts that they have. So this key player thing is really critical because there's an economic buyer. So it'll be someone who eventually will have to sign a check. Um, but more importantly, there's this buying committee and the buying committee influences the economic buyer. And there can be up to 17 different people on that buying committee. And so in getting to all of them is also really important as well. And so uh, in our case with social ABM, you, you activate multiple teams because they all have to work together. The inside sales team has to work closely with the customer experience center uh, and all the people who are working in community management. And the community managers will target and start to uh, profile and then engage with people online who are prospects and then pass that information back and forth to the inside sales team. The inside sales team partners very closely with the sales team and they work as a team together to get that prospect to a meeting and a conversation. So what kind of interactions does a CXE have, right? And this is where I think that the conception of B2B uh, in a classic demand gen format is is deeply wrong and there's there's a there's a better way because you know i'll speak as someone who gets targeted all the time it's just damned irritating quite frankly and it doesn't make me feel great about a company and so being sort of pounded with messages and being constantly like hey you didn't respond to my message but how are you okay uh, one person actually said quoted harry met sally they said i'm i'm assuming you're either stuck under something heavy or you're waiting to get back to me. And so I was thinking to myself, neither. And so what we do is we don't engage with the prospect on a buy me. We engage with the prospect based on what they're talking about. So as they tweet things or post things or talk about things on LinkedIn, we'll start to have a conversation with them about the things that they talk about. 
not about the things we want to talk about. And so people talk about customer first. We just finished a big series on digital customer first uh, transformation. If you really want to be customer first, you have to talk to the customer in their own terms about the things that they care about. If you really want to engage with me, like I'm very easy to engage with because I've got a wide variety of interests. Spend five minutes understanding me, and then we could probably have an interesting conversation. But if you want to just sell me something, it's the same old thing I see all the time, you're very unlikely to get my attention. And so what will happen is the community managers will start this prospect of engagement or process, process, excuse me, of engagement and go back and forth with the prospect and not actually try to sell anything, right? Not try to sell anything until at some point the prospect will say, hey, you know, we're thinking of doing something new or what do you all do? Or can we talk about something I need some help with? Or like, let the prospect actually open the door to let you in, as opposed to you trying to smash the door down with your foot, which you'll find is very difficult to do because those are steel reinforced doors. And then once that happens, we call that a handshake. So the handshake is very akin to basically what happens at a conference. So if you think about conferences, if you can remember back to a time when we saw each other face to face, you go to a conference and you can go up to somebody and you wouldn't just say, hey, I got something to sell you, like, which is the way we treat people in B2B marketing. Right? You wouldn't do that at all. What you'd do is you would say, hi, my name is, my name is Grad. You know, who are you? Oh, I'm from here. And you would look for that commonality. What school did they go to? Where did they live? Oh, you know, I, I live, you know, I'm a big Disney fan. Oh, I'm a big Disney fan. You know, where, where, you know, then you find that. And it's amazing if you think about all your engagements, how quickly you can find something in common with someone else. And you create an engagement, an opportunity to kind of be connected. Sometimes you'll say, hey, you want to grab a drink? Or well, what do you do? What do you do? And then that can sometimes lead to business. But it, it doesn't get there by whipping open your coat and saying, do you want to watch? It gets there because you seem like someone I might want to do business with. And you think about in B2B, you're selling one thing, right? In B2B, you're selling career success. Person, if they buy this product, could succeed beyond their dreams and their career because the product could help them be more effective. Also, it could get them fired. When they're making a B2B sale, they, they need to know that that person is someone that they can trust. They need to know that this is a situation in a company that they can trust. And then they will then lean forward. And so what this does is this sort of social interaction creates a trust circle where someone feels like, hey, they get me, they understand me, and they know me. And they've been interacting with me in a non-commercial way for some extended period of time. That is social ABM. So um, we'll probably talk about this a bit more because I think it's probably the most revolutionary thing happening in B2B marketing today. And we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, but that's enough for today. And for the CXM experience, I am Grad Khan, CXO at Sprinkler, and I'll talk to you next time.